listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. When you preach through a book, like we've been doing for a while, we've been preaching through Luke, okay? You've been preaching through a book. You don't have the, uh, you don't have the normal freedoms when you take a different approach to sermon giving. Those that, that preach on a topical basis, well, they can just kind of pick and choose however God leads them or however they might be feeling at the time, which is probably more often the case. But when you're preaching through a book, if you're going to do it right, you've got to deal with it all, correct? There are times that I come to places in Scripture that I would go, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to preach that. Lord, I don't like that. Because a lot of times, I just don't understand that. Does that bother you? That your pastor gets to places that he just simply doesn't understand? It should bother you more if I ever get to the place that I think I understand everything I come to. Bottom line is, is that... God's Word is a, is, is a vast ocean of which we only going to get to play in the shallow end of. And there are times that you come to a passage in Scripture that you just would really like to skip over. Today's one of those days. Because Jesus is going to talk about things that I know you're going to want more answers to than I'm going to be able to give. And some of those answers, for those of you that have been around God's Word for uh, a number of years, maybe some of the things that I say about what I think Jesus is saying is going to go contrary to what you might think about this. Because Jesus is going to, again, for the third time, pull the veil back and allow His disciples to see into the future. At least as far into the future as he'll let them see. And even what he's going to let them see is going to be cloudy even to them. You know when you wake up first thing in the morning and you open your eyes and you're thinking, if the rest of the day goes like this, then I'm not going to be able to drive because I got stuff. And, and, and it's like that is how we look at this passage in Luke 21 And there's some haze there. There's some confusion. There there might even be some some, uh, debate going on if you have studied the future events or prophecy as is spelled out through Scripture. So I'm just going to go about it this way. I'm going to tell you what our, our essential beliefs are as it applies to the end times. And then I'm going to give you a very small nutshell answer to the non-essential things that we see in the end times. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 21 and we're going to let Jesus say what Jesus says. And hopefully we're going to walk away having been encouraged like I think he wanted his disciples to be encouraged. So first, let me tell you about our rock hard essential. If you've never been around Oasis Church, we've got eight 
doctrinal essentials. And, and all that means is that if you want to be a covenant partner, we don't have members, we have partners. We have partners on purpose, and we call them covenant partners. Uh, we sign a covenant saying what we'll do and what we can expect from, from everybody else, and then we hold up our end of the bargain knowing and hoping that you'll hold up your end of the bargain. Covenant partners are required to hold to, without reservation, eight of our doctrinal essentials. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, what are those? As you walk out today on those two brown boards going out, there's a little card that'll give you all eight of the doctrinal essentials. These are going to be the hard line things that we're going to hold to and not budge. Number eight, doctrinal essential is this. In the future... Jesus Christ will physically return to this earth. We have to be agreed that when Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And he's going to do some things on this earth, and that's going to happen in the future. You say, wait, 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 what about this, this, this? Yeah, I'm going to tell you about that in a second, but those are non-essential positions. The essential is this. Is Jesus here with us today physically? No. He sent another comforter. We know him as the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But God the Son says, I'm coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to establish a kingdom. We believe we're going to, we believe he's going to be on this earth for a while. That's all we need to be essential. If you believe Jesus is coming back and, and is going to physically return to this earth, then get in here. We're hugging it out, okay? We're brothers, and we can pull the rope together. Now, here are some of the non-essential positions that we as a church Hold when you come and you hear us preach and we preach through passages that are connected to other passages, then you're going to find a particular flavor because at the end of the day, we got to land somewhere and this is where we softly land on non-essential. We hold these things, we teach these things, we believe these things, at least as our church documents are concerned and as I and our board of directors stand personally, but we hold these things softly. And here's what they are. We believe that the end time events are going to follow as such. The next thing that will happen is that Christ will return in the air to receive his church to be with him. That's an event that we call the rapture. We believe that's going to come at the time that God sends his son back to the earth. We don't necessarily believe that that's going to say that we as Americans get to skip all kinds of persecution. It could get really, really bad and quite honestly, we halfway expect it to get really, really bad even for us before Christ returns. But he can return at any time and when he does, he'll take his church to be with him. And then there will follow a seven-year period known as the tribulation. We believe that when the church is gone, that God will then judge those that have rejected him in whole. But specifically, his attention is going to be on his nation of Israel. And for seven years, there will be incredible persecution on this earth and, and, and an establishment of an anti-Christ one world government and all that goes into that. We believe at the end of that second uh, seven year period that Jesus is going to come again or the second 
coming. Christ is going to return with his saints. Big battle. You've all heard about it in a specific place in Israel called Armageddon. There's going to be all kinds of things that are happening there. And then Christ is going to set up his throne, which after his return and after that establishment of his presence, he will begin a 1,000 year kingdom on this earth that we refer to as the millennium. We believe that Jesus will rule and reign on this earth as king and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess while the enemy is bound and held safely away. At the end of that thousand years we believe that the enemy will be released. He'll establish himself one final revolt where he'll be snuffed out and judged at the time that those that are both saved and lost will enter into the eternal state, whether that be in Jesus' presence, wherever he is, or separated from him in the place that we affectionately or non-affectionately know as the lake of fire, understanding we don't know a whole lot about what that's going to look like because none of us have ever been there. But figuratively speaking, it's not the place you want to spend eternity separated from Christ. That's how we see the end times unfolding. And you say, I don't see it that way, Pastor Kevin. I just don't get that whole rapture thing. That's cool. That's cool because, you know what, you're reading the same scriptures I am and, and I just want to know, but is Jesus coming back? Yeah, yeah, he's coming back to this earth. Good, get in here, hug it out. Like, Pastor Kevin, I, I don't know about that whole, that whole second coming and thing. I think Jesus, I don't know about that war and all that kind of, okay, is he coming back to this earth? Is, is he coming back? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I'm just not really sure I'm with, well, get in here. Let's don't argue. Let's don't hug it out. We can talk about it. And I want us to talk about it, but at the end of the day, you kind of know where we're going to land. If you land somewhere else, that's fine with us as long as you don't land more hardly than we do, right? We hold those things with a soft hand. We hold with the hard hand the essentials that we're not going to budge from. Does that make sense? Nod if you're awake. Okay. Thanks, Chet. I appreciate that. That was very encouraging. When we look at Luke 21... That's the lens that we're going to look through. That's the lens that we're going to see what Jesus says. Not, and, and really, not because of what he says here. Because what he says here is vague and, and a bit ambiguous. It's because of what the prophets in the Old Testament have said. And we link up and, and compare it to what John said in, in, in the revelation that, that Jesus revealed to him in, in that last book. And then what Paul has said to the churches uh, in the New Testament. We link all those things together again with what Jesus said. And that's how we stack the blocks. Rapture, tribulation, second coming, millennium, end state. We say, do y'all have any blocks left over? Yeah. We don't know where some of the blocks go, but we just feel like there's fewer blocks left over in that way than the other ways. And so that's what we're going with. Does that make sense? That's why I won't skip this part. I won't move on to the next part because I won't talk about all that. End times does not jazz me like it does some of y'all. Yeah, it, it, it's, I get it all year long. Hey, Pastor Kevin, when are you going to preach on Revelation? In the end times, I will preach on Revelation, I'm sure. It's the last book. Let's get through all the other ones first. Then we'll deal with that one, right? Because ju it's just so much to wade through. But you know what? Jesus said it for a purpose. And I think that purpose is relevant to us today. 
What Jesus is going to say to his disciples and those listening in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 36, we'll read through 38, is that your world is about to turn upside down. The world that you think you understand, it's about to go completely upside down. And, And what I want to do is help you maintain your composure as you continue to follow me when things go crazy. Because when things go crazy, guess what? It's about to get even crazier, but that's okay. You're with me. You stick with me, and that's the way through all of this. I think what Jesus does in these verses is address the questions that the apostles are going to pose to him about signs and times. What's it going to look like? When's it going to happen? And you're saying, well, what exactly is he referring to? Well, let's jump in. Luke chapter 21, verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, while some were speaking of the temple. Remember back last week, we're in the temple. Jesus is focusing on the woman who puts in a little bit of money and says that her offering is more than the other folks' offering. And and before that, he was uh, going head-to-head with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And now he's still, he's in the temple. But Mark and Matthew tell us he's leaving the temple, uh, going back to where he's going to stay for the evening. Some were speaking of the temple, and they they said how it was adorned with no Noble stones and offerings. They were saying, Jesus, will you look at what Herod has done for the temple? Now, if we we remember way back in our Old Testament history and ask the question, who did God use to originally build the temple? We know that person to be King Solomon. Solomon built the temple and it was phenomenal. People came from miles around to see this amazing building that that God had erected as a place of worship and prayer and recognition of his presence with his people. And it was beautiful until around 586 BC when a gentleman by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came in, began to take away because of, of, of God's allowing him to be used to judge his people. He destroyed Jerusalem and tore down the temple and left it in a pile of rubble. Approximately 70 years later, the Jewish people were allowed to come back into the land and rebuild the temple, but it was only a meager representation of its original until Herod, the king, the not Jewish king, but a Semitic individual appointed by Rome, figured that he could get on the good side of the Jews if he would remodel the temple. And that's exactly what he did. He began this massive building project, and they were extremely impressed by what he was doing. Jesus, will you look? I mean, I can only imagine how how much better could it have been under Solomon because look at how he's done this place with the stones and the adornment crown molding and it's gold, Jesus. Look at all of this. It's awesome. He said to them in verse 6, As for these things that you see, the days will come where there will be not where there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus has already said this in chapter 19 verses 40, 43 and 44. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I see all that, but guys, what you're looking at, 
there's going to come a day when all of this is going to be torn down. And I'm sure in their mind they're thinking, again? I mean, why why is that going to, what in the world is going to, Jesus, really, what are you talking about? Verse number 7, and they ask him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Matthew and Mark tell us in their recounting of this story that there were four disciples that came to Jesus with this question. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They also tell us that he was on the Mount of Olives when they asked him this and he began to reply. So Jesus has left, gone through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives where he was staying, whether it be in a tent or on his way to Bethany to stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But as they were on the Mount of Olives, Jesus begins to reply. Matthew and Mark also tell us that Peter, Andrew, James, and John recognized that what Jesus was talking about was something significant. They tied it to his return. So they're beginning to think that Jesus has been saying everything that's going to happen is not going to happen now. So it's going to happen at a later time. That must be what Jesus is talking about. I I don't see any demolition crews around. I don't see the, the temple coming down. So he must be talking about something in the future. So Jesus, will you tell us what in the world you're talking about? What's this going to look like? And when is this going to be? You say, well, they were just being selfish and they were being babies. No, they weren't. We stayed glued to the television for a couple of weeks when a wave comes off of Africa. Ain't got a name yet. Don't even know if it's going to make it all the way across. And we want that meteorologist to tell us what day in the next two weeks this thing is going to hit. How bad's it going to hit? How long's it going to last? Can I go on the cruise before it gets here? That's what we're wanting to know. So we're just as impatient as they are. And Jesus is talking about some way more catastrophic things than we think about with a hurricane. So we want to know. They had inquiring minds. They wanted to know. Jesus, tell us what are going to be the times and the signs. I think what Jesus does in these next verses between verse 8 and 36 is he's going to talk about Two kinds of events, things in the near future, things in the distant future. And at times, Jesus is going to be holding the near future baton, and in the middle of the sentence, he's going to set that one down and pick up the distant future baton. Talk about that for a while and then put that one down. So he's back and forth because there are similarities between the thing that is coming soon and the bigger thing that's coming later. You say, that's just not fair. Why in the world would he do this? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament again and think about a gentleman by the name of Isaiah who was speaking to, I believe, King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was facing an enemy. Hezekiah wanted an answer. Is God going to be with us or not? And the prophet says, God's got this message. Behold, a young woman, a virgin, who had never had a child is going to conceive. And she's going to have a child. And that child is going to be called? No, no. That child's going to be called Emmanuel. Which means God with I knew where he's going though with that. 
It's going to be born. It's going to be named Emmanuel. And that's going to be the sign. Was God expecting Hezekiah to wait another thousand years before he got his sign? No. We have every reason to believe that a young woman who had never given birth to a child before, in normal fashion, had a child, was born, probably even in his court, and named him Emmanuel, and the king was able to go, that's God doing what he said he was going to do, and he knew he was going to be victorious. Now fast forward, decade after decade after decade after decade after decade after decade, and Matthew writing the account, painting the picture of Jesus for those that are reading along. And he says to his audience that was primarily Jewish, you remember when the prophet said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son? Yeah, like that, but just way more miraculous because this is not just going to be a young woman who has never had a child. This is going to be a young woman who's never had a husband and has been faithful to her virginity, and she's going to have a child, and they're going to call him Emmanuel because like God was with them there, here God in fact is going to be with us, and we know his name was, that's it. So God has a way of saying stuff about things that are going to happen over here that have a connection and look a lot like things that are going to happen here. And you're like, well, that's just not fair. Well, it is fair because what God's wanting you to do is recognize he's in control. He's got this. And just exactly what he says is going to happen is going to happen. He's done it again and again and again. And I believe he's going to do it again. Dun, 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 dun. Y'all hear me? So Jesus is saying, well, let me tell you about the times and the signs. And I'm going to tell you about some other things that might be confusing. But the point is the same. Follow me. Come on, follow me. Here's what he says, verse 8. He says, See that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name, assuming that he is gone, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Jesus is saying, I know that you're asking me about the end, but there's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen, and some of those things could be terrifying to you. But don't be afraid of that. Those things got to happen. The end is not yet. These things have to transpire. It seems as though the events that Jesus is highlighting in this passage were about near future events that were future for the disciples but events that are in our past. Jesus was talking to them about things that were going to happen in the years and decades to come in their future, but events that we open our history books and see in the past. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
There'll be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. Jesus says it's going to be all kinds of crazy things. Wars and natural disasters and, and, and all kinds of, of amazing, powerful, but explainable things that are going to happen. And I think for a second Jesus stops. Watch me now. And I think he puts down the near future baton and picks up the distant future baton and says, and in a time like that, there will be terrors and signs from heaven to go along with all of those other natural and explainable things. There will be unexplainable things. Let's put that down. Let's pick up the near future baton again. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Who are they? Well, the leaders of the, 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 the temple, the synagogues, the, the Judaizers, those that, that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but rejected wholesale Jesus. They were going to be the ones persecuting many of them. If they lived long enough, it would be the Romans that would be persecuting them. If they took the gospel to other nations, it would be those people that would be persecuting them. But Jesus said, basically, they are going to be delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons You'll be brought before kings and, and governors for my namesake in the very near future for them. In the past, we're able to look back and see the events that Jesus was talking about specifically to them. He says, however, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Don't be afraid of that. Don't fight that. Don't, don't feel like somehow God has given you a raw deal when they take you to prison and they persecute you for my name's sake. That's when your witness is going to speak the loudest. It's not when you have the freedom to adorn your house with, with flags and, and banners or your car with stickers or our, or our bodies with, with, with paraphernalia that speak the name of Christ. We speak the loudest when it's hurting us to do so. Jesus says, don't be afraid of these things because these are going to be your opportunity to trumpet whose you are. He says, settle it in your minds before that happens, not to meditate on how to answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict, similar to what he's already said in chapter number 12, verses 11 and 12. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about how you're going to respond. When things get tough, you shine bright. Be ready to let me fill your mouth, and I will speak through you, and I will give you things to say that they won't be able to contradict, and you'll confound them. You'll be delivered up even by parents. You're going to be betrayed by, by your own flesh and blood, your brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you are even going to be put to death. If you've never read a, a version of Fox's book of martyrs, there are, there are versions out there that are in more of a modern day English. I would encourage you to get a copy. There's a, 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 a modern rendition that was put out years ago uh, by, by a band that's not even in existence anymore. It was put out by Voice of the Martyrs through DC Talk, and it was about this and other 
people that have given their life for Christ throughout the church history. You should get something like that. You should read, be encouraged by those that have taken on that persecution and stood strong and endured. Jesus says they're going to kill some of you. They're going to imprison some of you. They're going to persecute some of you. But that light's going to shine bright. And then he says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. You know, it's one of the things that we so struggle against. We hate folks not liking us. And you know, there's a place for that. If folks don't like you because you're a jerk, quit being a jerk. That don't look like Jesus, okay? Quit being a jerk. If they don't like you because you're nice, not nice, be nice, okay? So, so, so don't be something that is, that is offensive as far as just normal human uh, bantering and, and back and forth relationally. But if you follow Jesus and you're bold about it, it's not going to be long before you're going to be hated for it. Maybe within your family, maybe within your company, maybe within your community. If you follow Jesus, and I don't mean you're out on a street corner hollering at folks and screaming judgmental slogans at them. I mean, if you just walk with Jesus, folks are going to hate you. Students. I know some of y'all about to go off to college. Hear this. If you take Jesus with you and you're out from under the umbrella of, of of the body that you're most comfortable with, you're out from under the umbrella of your parents, the enemy will turn up the heat. That's why it's so important that as soon as you can, you find like faithed individuals that you can get around and be with. Find yourself a church that will love you. You won't find one that will love you as much as we do, okay? But find one that will love you almost as much as we do and would be willing for me to give them a call to tell them how much we love you and how much we're counting on them to walk with you. But you need to get yourself around the body because you get out there in the world, the enemy is going to love to send the, the whole platoon to try to break you down. Well, just don't let him. Just be ready for that. Be aware of that. Surround yourself with the body. Stay in the word. Here's what Jesus says. They're going to hate you. They're going to hurt you. But not a hair of your head will perish. Now, wait just a second. Jesus, you said some of them are going to kill us. And now you're telling us not a hair on our head is going to perish? Think about what Jesus is saying. This word perish is the same one used in chapter 17, verse 33. Thank you, Chuck Swindoll, for reminding me of that. He says, he reminded me that that's the same word when Jesus says those that try to keep their life will lose it. But those who are willing to lose their life for my sake will find it. It means that that giving up, that loss of. Jesus said, they're going to hate you, they're going to hurt you, and they might kill you. But listen up, they can't end you because you mine. Now, they didn't know what that meant. It's going to be a couple of days before they knew what that Oh, death don't stop Jesus. And if we're with him, death don't stop us. But they don't know that. Jesus tell them a little something ahead of time. Not a hair on your head is going to perish. You can die the worst death for me possible. It's all good. It's all, it'll hurt for a little while. But man... The opportunity you'll have to represent me. And then you get to be with me for eternity. So don't you worry about that. 
By your endurance, you'll gain your life. No matter how bad it gets, stay on course. But, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and that was going to happen in A.D. 70, under Vespasian's leadership in Rome, under the, the authority of his son Titus leading the army, they would surround Palestine, Jerusalem specifically, and they would stomp out a Jewish rebellion, which would take the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. It's on the way. Here it comes. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and on the run, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there'll be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They'll fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. My wife led some of the ladies in the uh, study of a, uh, what was her, is it Francis Rivers? I don't know, Francis, who? Francine Rivers? Well, somebody called her Francis, I'm sure. At any rate, let, let, them, let them on a, a book that was fictional, but it was set at the time of Israel's destruction. The ladies had a fantastic time reading that. And if I'm going to be quite honest with you, so did I, because I read part of them and then I listened to the rest. Look, let me tell you. Ask my wife if you want to get a glimpse of the horror that Jesus was talking about because Miss Rivers does a great job of spelling that out in story form and letting you see what it looks like through the printed page of Rome coming in and devastating the people of Israel. And they were angry about it. Jesus said, those days are coming. When those days are come, you, you need to get out of town and hope that you don't have little babies with you because it's going to be bad for everybody. And Jerusalem is going to be desolated and decimated, and then it's going to stay under the rule of Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Well, I think what Jesus is talking about is something that he showed a king Way, way, way back in the Old Testament, one we've already mentioned by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who had a dream about a statue with a head made of gold and a torso made of silver, a, a girdle made of bronze, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. What in the world is that supposed to mean? And a young man by the name of Daniel came in and said, well, your majesty, that head of gold is you. That's your kingdom. That torso of silver, well, that's the, the kingdom that's coming after you. The Greeks that are, uh, I'm sorry, the, Mede and the Medes and the Persians are coming through. They're going to destroy you. And then the bronze, gird, uh, the loins that are brought, well, that's the Greeks that are going to come in and overthrow them. Those legs of iron are going to be the Romans. And then that iron and clay is going to be a mixture of all kinds of different types of governmental entities but let me talk about what you saw coming at that statue was a big rock that landed and crushed that whole thing. That rock that is to come is the Son of Man. 
And that rock's going to destroy all of them, and everybody's going to have to uh, give their honor and their praise to him. Jesus is talking about all these things that are happening. I believe that the times of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar and extended to Cyrus and Darius and then to Alexander and then to Caesar and then to all these other nations that have their hands on Israel. You go, wait, wait, Israel is its own thing right now. You believe that? You really believe, you believe that everybody who is in charge in Israel is a Jewish believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No. And they don't even own all their property. The place where the temple would have been built, it's got a Muslim mosque on the top. The Gentiles still hold court in Israel. Jesus says, but there's going to come a time when that's going to end. Put down the near future baton. Pick up the distant. Verse 25. There'll be signs in the sun. Signs in the moon and the stars and on earth. Distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding for what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Jesus is saying, when when I leave from here, things are going to start getting bad. Things are going to start getting topsy-turvy. Persecution is going to happen. Folks are going to go to war. Earthquakes are going to happen. Things are going to be going on. And then you're going to start getting persecuted. And people are going to start suffering for my name. And they're going to keep suffering for my name. And things are going to keep happening. And things are going to keep transpiring. And things are going to keep getting worse and worse. Or maybe they're not getting any worse. Maybe we're just finding out more about things that were happening that other people didn't know about in their time. But it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And then... It's going to escalate. You go, what is that? I think that's that seven-year tribulation. They said, what? I thought you said there was going to be a rapture. Yeah. I just because Jesus don't say it all don't mean that's not going to happen too. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to the people who have rejected him now. It's going to escalate and things are going to get really bad. And folks are going to be panicking and wondering, is anybody going to make it? Verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming. And then when it gets really unimaginably bad those that are looking will see the son of man coming how's he gonna come well not as you know a lowly peasant child to a wife who wasn't married scandalous be born in a stable and laid over in in a manger where the animals eat from Grown up in Nazareth? No, those aren't going to be the circumstances. Uh, Let your mind wander to Peter, James, and John on a mountain, and Jesus standing there, and then all of a sudden, Jesus starts to shine. Jesus starts to glow. Jesus starts to be seen in a way we've not seen him before. we got to bow down and cover ourselves because this is 
amazing and voices from the clouds and all kinds of stuff and I can't believe we're here. That's the one who's coming back. In power, with power and with glory. I know there are a lot that believe that he's coming back with zero violence. And I do believe he's coming back with zero um, unnecessary judgment. But he's coming with everything that God promised. And all those things are going to be fulfilled. And if that's not how it works out, well, I'll be just fine with that. Until then, I'm going to read it like it says it. With power and great glory. So when it gets so bad, you think it, it, everything's going to be lost. They'll see him coming. When these things begin to take place, Jesus says, straighten up. Raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Their world is about to be turned upside down when they take him and they crucify him. Everything they were hoping is going to be lost in their mind. They're going to bury him and then they're going to hide. Hoping nobody finds them. Then they're going to get word from a couple of young ladies that think they saw him. That think the tomb is empty and somehow he's gone. They're going to go and find for themselves that the tomb is in fact empty. And not too long after that, he's going to reveal them, himself to them. They're going to see him raised. They're, they're going to see him chained. They're going to not see him limping and hobbling, trying to get a little further along in his way. No, they're going to see him standing and making supper with fish and no fishing pole. They're going to be seeing fish be brought into the net that weren't there all night before. They're going to see Jesus in his changed form in their presence. And they're going to go, oh, well, okay then. And that's when they're going to get their commission. Jesus uses an illustration here. He told them a parable in verse 29. He says, look at the fig tree. Look at all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summertime is already near. Can I tell you all something? My wife has got some, uh, some new little garden beds. And for a little while, those little, those little seeds were popping up. And they were just little, these little seedlings, little things. And they were there. And they go out the next day, same little things. Oh, they're so cute. Get a little water and everything. They were like that for a few days. And then all of a sudden, Boom! You can't see the beds no more. Them leaves are everywhere. And we found some little baby watermelons, y'all. They're on. She found them, got them. They're on their way. We saw, okay, the summertime's here. The leaves are out. The fruit is on the way. She says, y'all know how to do that. You look and you go, okay, I see something's coming. Well, then also you see these things place take place. You know that the kingdom of God is near. You know that things are transpiring just like I said they would. Well, is it time yet? Well, has it happened yet? No, it must not be time yet. We keep going. Oh, is it time yet? No, it hadn't happened yet. Well, it must not be time yet. Let's keep going. And we keep following. You can see it. It's near. It's happening just like I said it would. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. You say, what generation is that? Y'all, I just don't know. And neither does anybody else. But what I think is that Jesus is talking about those who see it get 
really bad, they can count on it's coming soon. That's what I think. But Jesus meant what he said. Verse 33, he said this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. My words will not pass away. To a bunch of guys whose world's about to be turned upside down, things about to start getting crazy, Jesus is like, yeah, be watching for that. When you see the armies surround Jerusalem, no, that thing's coming down. Temple's coming down. No stones on top of one another. You probably won't get out of Dodge or you're going to get caught up in that mess. That's going to happen. There's going to be wars. There's going to be persecutions. And there's going to be wars and persecutions and wars and persecutions. And then it's going to get really bad and then I'm coming back. What he was encouraging them, I believe, keep coming. Come on. If it ain't time, you know the way, I'm the way, you keep following. Because what does he say here? Verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down and distracted, uh, uh, weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this world or this life. And that day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape in all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What do I think is going to happen? I think we're going to have wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all kinds of craziness happen. I think that the persecution that's being faced by believers in Iraq and Iran, places like Afghanistan, and right now one of the hottest beds of persecution is India. Of course, China has been a place where you can't hardly even claim you have a connection to Christianity. And certainly North Korea is a place where Christianity is not tolerated. For those individuals, they've seen persecution and they've had heartache and they've been put to death and they've had to hide and they've been under persecution. I think we'll probably see some of that, if not a lot of that. And then I think at the right amount of time that God's going to say, okay, son, go get your bride. And he's going to return in the air. We who are alive and remain aren't going to hinder those that are dead and gone. They're going to rise first, and then we're going to be caught up together to meet him in the air. That's what Paul said to the Thessalonian church. I believe that's going to happen. And then it's going to get really, 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 really bad. And some folks, even in the bad, are going to turn to Christ. And they're going to find that His blood is sufficient to save them as well. But it's going to be really hard. But in just a little while, Jesus says, Nation, Israel, hold your head up. Those of you who are looking for me. Because I'm returning. And when I come, it's going to be with power and glory. Followers of Jesus, whether in the disciples' era or in our era or in the era following the time of the church's greatest usage, followers of Jesus, come on. Keep, keep, you know the way. 
You just keep coming the way. And what does he say? Number one, remain alert. Remain dialed in in 2022 with a weird economy, with all kinds of craziness in Washington, with, with trials and hearings of folks we don't really know why they're being tried and heard, and why aren't we trying to folks that ought to be tried and heard, and, and, and all the things that are happening in and around our country. Shootings and murders and vandalism and all of those things. What's happening? Just exactly what Jesus said was going to happen in this broken world. And what are we to do? We're to watch ourselves. Remain ready. Be alert. Stay dialed in to our calling and our responsibility. Can I tell you something, church? We're probably the most guilty in this society of compartmentalizing our Christianity and putting it on the shelf beside all of the other aspects of our life. And we do life and we have plans and and we have, you know, success structures that we've got to meet and things we want to accomplish and goals that we're trying to, and, and, and oh yes, we want to represent Jesus as well. That's not how it's supposed to work. You see, our life is supposed to be poured out for him in whatever arenas he's given us to pour ourselves out for him and our representation of him and our sharing of the gospel and walking with one another as we say we're reaching and teaching that's how our life is supposed to be we got to remain alert if we're going to stay that way because if not we're going to get distracted which is the second thing don't get distracted By the temporary cares of this world. Certainly don't get distracted by sin and ultimately trapped in it. Inventory yourself. Who am I living for? Me or Christ? Who who am I following? Myself? My dreams? Or or keeping up? I can't say with the Joneses because Chad's right there. I'm talking about them. But I'm just trying to keep up with those folks that I'm trying to get up with. Or am I following him? Regardless of whether, where they go and what they got. Certainly got to stay out of the way of sin. Confess it when it's succumbed to and repent, turn away from it. And then lastly, he said we got to stay grounded in the word. But stay awake, verse 36, at all times. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Look, if we're going to stand, if we're going to stay alert, if we're not going to get distracted, then we, we've got to ground ourselves in prayer. And then we've got to remember that everything we see can go away. But His Word remains forever. So that's where we need to be rooted. Rooted in God's Word. Grounded in prayer. Being aware of the distractions, being aware of the sin, and then remaining alert no matter what. Staying focused on our calling to reach and teach and to wait. Because when it's time, he's going to do what he said. Either we're going to go to be with him through death or we're going to brought to be with him in the air. We're going to come back if we don't know Jesus as Savior. Man, I hate for it. I'd hate to have to come to know him during the time of great 
horrible distress. But either way, he, he's the only way. And he says, come on. Keep trucking. Keep following. Where you at? You mired up in stuff that don't matter? Sidetracked by sin? Confess that stuff. Get that out of the way. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep walking. Now that I'm excited to say. All that other stuff just confuses me to death. But that is the point I think he meant. Keep walking with me. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Maybe it is that you're here. You know about Jesus. You've heard about him. You, You might even know about those two events that make for fantastic holidays here in the West. Christmas and Easter. Yeah, I know about that. I love those days. Maybe you know the answers to the Sunday school questions. But maybe Jesus has never been made Lord of your life by you, by faith, trusting, believe. I believe, I believe he is who he said he is. I, I believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I don't understand my, a lot of it, but I trust it. Today would be a great day to just set aside all other things you're counting on and put all your eggs in his basket. And if you're a follower of Jesus, to check your basket, see what might have mistakenly got over in there. Let's get all that stuff out and let's keep following him because we've got a job to do. He ain't back yet. We've got a job to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, uh, that Jesus is willing to show us a little bit Show your disciples a little bit about what was to come. All those same things are true today. Father, we we have all kinds of things going on in our world that make us angry, make us sad, make us wonder. The world's broken. You said that's what we'd see. The answer to the brokenness is you, but it's not going to happen changing society. It's going to happen as individuals change their mind. Trust your son. Allow him to change them. And that's our desire to be a part of that. God, that you would use us as effective witnesses to point others to you. That you would use us in the lives of one another to remain strong, to remain alert, to understand your word, to stay grounded in prayer so that we might walk that out faithfully each and every day. God, we look forward to what you're going to do this week. We ask that you'll prepare us for what's ahead. And we might be faithful instruments in your hand. My God, we look forward to, to everything that we get an opportunity to be a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.